Hello and welcome to the Tom's Hardware Show. I'm your host Sharon Harding and today we're hanging out with Fraser. Yes, so welcome everyone. We are live and we are taking questions from the audience. So if you have anything you'd like to ask, just drop that question into the chat on YouTube or Facebook and we'll try to discuss it on air. So joining me today is Tom's Hardware staff writer, Michelle Earhart. How are you, Michelle? Hi, Sharon, I'm good. Awesome. I'm also super excited to welcome our special guest from Razor. So first we have Ash McKay. How are you, Ash? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, Sharon. Glad to have you. And we also have Mike Shamiko. What's going on, Mike? Oh, just uh, excited to be here. Thanks for having us today. Awesome. So if there's one thing I know as a person who manages peripherals coverage for Tom's Hardware, it's that Razor has been really busy. And I know that because you've been keeping me busy. Um, so you've had a lot of announcements already this year in terms of gaming peripherals and even some things, you know, kind of out of the gaming sphere specifically. So a lot to talk about, lots of announcements. So yeah, let's just get right into it. Ash, do you want to kick us off in terms of what's been going on in the keyboard world? Sure. So earlier this year, we launched our first full-sized analog keyboard in the Huntsman V2 analog. Super excited about this keyboard because it does feature our analog switch. So when we're looking at our analog switches, um, we've really wanted to take this a step up and make sure that we're making this the most versatile, but also the most flexible switch in the market when it comes to analog. So with the analog switch, what we've been looking at is how it measures light. So at its heart, it is an optical switch, but the great thing about analog switches is that you can measure the amount of light going through the sensor in the switch versus this traditional optical switch, which you can basically say, is it being pressed? Yes, or is it being pressed? No. With the ability to measure the light going through, it's given us a lot of flexibility to have adjustable actuation, analog input built in, as well as dual step actuation with the actual switch. So I'm a World of Warcraft player. So for me, the adjustable actuation piece has been really key in my gameplay. I am notorious for firing off spells before they're needed. Um, so with adjustable actuation, I've been able to go into Synapse and I've been able to customize my keyboard through Synapse to have adjustable actuation on my keys. And what this means is you can change anywhere from 1.5 millimeters to 3.6 millimeters of press weight on the key. So for me, I set my WASD keys to be a really light press, so about 1.7 millimeters. That way I'm like super agile when I'm moving around the map. But to try and avoid misfiring on my spells, I've set my actuation point there a little bit higher to a 3.6 millimeter. My gameplay is improved because I'm being more intentional in my key presses for my spells, misfiring less often. It's really great because you can totally customize the keyboard however you want, or you can set one actuation point across the entire keyboard. But also in addition to that, we've added analog input, which is going to emulate the gamepad on a controller. So for those who want to use a keyboard and a mouse for their typical Xbox or PlayStation games, you can now use this analog input function to operate in those games. The third really cool piece of this as well is dual step actuation. So let's say you're in Call of Duty and you're like, yo, I'm gonna throw a grenade right now. You can use one key press with two different steps to equip the grenade and then throw the grenade. It provides a lot of flexibility during gameplay because if you're about to throw a grenade and you see that your gameplay has changed and that maybe something's adjusted on the map, 
you can actually cancel out that action or the cancel out the throwing of the grenade by just releasing your finger off the key. So you're no longer going to have to throw the grenade because you initiated it. All of this really allows for quicker in-game responsiveness and for you to really customize your gameplay. So the analog switches have been a huge innovation for us. We're so excited to have it in a full-size keyboard and really looking forward to seeing how it continues to take off over the next few months. Cool. So I always like to ask Michelle for her takes. I know you do some gaming yourself, Michelle. Um, have you right. played? What do you think about the idea of you know having that analog ability, but in you know keyboard using a keyboard rather than using a like a console controller? Well, Ash mentioned that she's a World of Warcraft player. I'm a Final Fantasy XIV player. Okay. Um, and one thing I really like about that game is it has really nice controller support. Um, which is important to me because there's a lot of movement and, and spells you have to avoid getting hit by in that game. So being able to have like the full control of a keyboard, but the precision of analog input sounds appealing to me. Absolutely. I'm definitely one of those people that is always caught in a puddle of something that the boss is casting. So having that flexibility with the analog input to move around as well has really helped me stay out of those puddles and avoid losing health during gameplay. It's it's definitely beneficial, especially in those MMO games for me. So what is, um, in terms of PC games, what does um, analog compatibility you know look like today? Are there a lot of games that are taking that sort of input? And are you guys working with any developers or doing anything to kind of you know, make this functionality more common in different games? Sure, so any game that currently supports keyboard and mouse um, functionality will automatically accept the Huntsman V2 analog. So it's fully compatible for any game that accepts both pieces together. So right off the bat, that's pretty a pretty extensive list of games. Um, what it looks like for the future, we're always pushing the boundaries here at Razor. Um, we're always striving to see what's next and you know, reaching out to partners within the industry. I don't have an answer for what's next tomorrow, but I can tell you that we're constantly innovating and looking for those opportunities. Yeah, so one question I have, and we've, we actually talk about this on the show a lot, are you know, different mechanical switches because you know, like back in the day, there weren't as many as there are today and we're seeing lots more come out. Um, how do you guys, well, maybe I'll just throw it to the room. Do you guys think there are too many mechanical switches on the market today or what, what's our opinion? I think from Razor's perspective, you know, we innovated with our own mechanical switches and to this day, we still make keyboards with our yellow and green mechanical switches. They're in our beloved OG Black Widow line and we continually innovate on that keyboard line. It's hard to say if there are too many mechanical switches, but I can tell you that at Razor, we still love our mechanical keyboards and we'll continue to innovate on that front. What I think is interesting about the analog switches is that they're bringing in a different functionality than you know your typical mechanical switch. So you know I wouldn't be so excited to see, let's say, another linear red switch with like 0.1 less millimeter of travel but here you're actually introducing um, different functions and you, you know, you talk about adjustable actuation, um, double step actuation. So I appreciate that because you're bringing in new features as opposed to just like, here's an alternative to cherry red, for example, like this does something different. Um, yeah, so it is interesting to see that. And of course I would feel bad if I didn't let you all know there is a review of this keyboard, the Huntsman V2 analog on the Tom's hardware website. 
um, definitely check that out. I did um, I did enjoy it, um, using it, particularly with Grand Theft Auto, because that's a game like I grew up playing on consoles and with um, a controller. So when I started doing it on the PC, it wasn't like quite this, I didn't feel like I had quite the same level of control. So that's like kind of where I had um, definitely a lot of fun trying that out. But yes, so I'm actually, I, another question I want to ask, well, we always like toss this out um, in terms of what are your, favorite mechanical switch to use? And I, if you wanna say the analog, I guess that's fine, but. <laughs> yeah, so our analog typically falls more into the optical side because its core nature is optical. Um, it's just a more advanced optical uh, switch in that it can like measure the actual amount of light coming through. As far as mechanical switches, I am a big lover of the yellow. I really like the silent, um, but you still get that tactility of feedback. Um, that's my personal preference for mechanical. I do love the optical switches as well. The analog is great. Um, I, my constant go back to though a yellow switch. I just love the feel and the gameplay that you get with the yellow switch. What about you, Mike? Are you big on, I know this isn't your area. This is kind of Ash's world, but are you a big mechanical switch person? Do you have a preference like clicky switches or the linear ones? Yeah, you know, honestly, I'm more of a uh, console gaming guy myself, uh, so Ooh. I'm all about the controller side. Uh, but I do like a nice, uh, super clicky keyboard. Takes me back to the old, you know, IBM days from when I was growing up, and uh, you know, takes me back. But you know, as far as a particular switch, again, I'm, I'm more of a controller guy, so I can't really uh, can't really make a call on that side. Fair enough. Um, Ash, do you see a world where maybe people are never um, attaching? controllers to their PC and are just using analog keyboards or is this more of just kind of providing another option? I think as the technology takes off and there's more education in the industry about all the functionality of that analog switch, we'll definitely see it take off more. Um, I'm not a controller gal myself, so the analog keyboard has been great for me in getting to experience that gamepad, and I love it, knowing that I can have all that functionality, getting the full 360 motion, and having a lot more precision in my finer movement control it's great for me. Um, I am all thumbs literally when it comes to controllers and it's a hot mess. So nobody wants to put a controller in my hand. So I'm super excited. I get that experience still with the analog keyboard. I think it will take off. Um, it's still a new technology. There's adoption rates as always with any new tech, but it seems to be um, being perceived really well by the community and our fans seem to love it. So that's always really encouraging. Absolutely. Well, if anyone has any questions about the Huntsman V2 analog or the new analog switches, um, Razors may definitely drop them in. In the meantime, I know, Mike, you have some stuff to show us around um, things that could be helpful for working from home, which is also really exciting for at least for me, because I don't see an end to my working from home life <laughs> anytime soon. You too, Michelle. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, I think we've all seen this this huge trend from work from home. Obviously, with with what's going on, uh, you know, with the pandemic out there right now, and I think we've all seen big companies, uh, you know, Microsoft, Twitter, Facebook, a lot of these companies really giving people more of that flexibility, even after this is all cleared up, uh, to work from home and to continue to work remotely. Uh, so we see a lot of opportunity to really bring some really cool products to our fans in this space. Um, especially, you know, on the camera side and being able to provide a lot of great uh, quality in terms of doing video calls and in terms of also doing for, you know, Twitch or streaming or whatever you might want to do. See, I'm actually using our new PO Pro camera myself. Uh, Michelle, I know you're using it today also. Uh, you know, again, great 1080p video quality. I can't really show you the camera because I'm using it, but uh, here's the, 
the package so you can kind of get a feel for what it looks like. And this is a camera we just came out with. Um, it's actually an extension of our Kio that has been on the market for a while and is you know uh, just a great product, a very popular product for us. And for us, the Kio Pro is all about making a very easy to use uh, camera, but that gives incredibly high video quality in any lighting condition. Uh, so again, we know with everybody working from home, you're not necessarily in an office, you're not in a conference room or somewhere with great lighting all the time. So what we want to do is create a camera that just really has the ability to adapt to any lighting situation that you might be in. And that's really kind of the heart of the Kio Pro. It's got an uh, incredibly powerful adaptive light sensor that can work within, you know, any kind of glare situation or low light, and it adapts itself without the need for a ring light or any other kind of lighting situation going on. So again, just giving you the flexibility to work from a number of different areas, but still maintain a really professional level of video quality uh, while you're using it. So that was really the biggest thing for us in developing the Kio Pro and, you know, being able to offer that. And then, you know, also we're looking outside the box, right? What else is there besides cameras, besides microphones? Uh, so I'm actually wearing our new Anzu smart glasses here. And uh, this is a new product that we also came out with. And, you know, it's great for us because not only are we bringing, you know, the ability to have this kind of mobile, you know, communications, but it's got blue light filtering built in. So I've got the blue light filtering lenses in now. Uh, they filter out 35% of blue lights, so it really creates a lot less strain on your eyes, and it gives a much more, um, you know, kind of relaxing, you know, workspace environment for your eyes, so that you're not, you know, harmed by having to work again by long times in front of the computer. And then within the frame itself, you have the speakers built in and a microphone built in. So I've got a full work from home solution in one product that I can, you know, have full hands free, be able to type, be able to work. Uh, but still, again, have that blue light protection of the glasses. And then also when you want to go outside and kind of take a break and do some activities outside, you can actually swap the lenses out for uh, polarized sunglass lenses. So you've got this all-in-one product uh, that is really great for a number of different situations. But again, bringing this kind of work from home, bringing this mobile work environment space to the customer uh, in a way that's, again, really simple to use, really friendly and, and a great form factor and kind of innovative in the space, uh, really building on what Razer does. Michelle, how do you like your Kio Pro? I know you've, you've been using it and uh, you, did a, you did a review of it, I believe. Has this been a camera that you've been enjoying using? So I really like the Kio Pro. Um, my go-to lately has been the Logitech C920, just because it's the best uh, webcam that I've had on hand. The Kio Pro is more than expensive than it, uh, by about $120, if I'm remembering correctly. But it is much higher video quality, and uh, I only stream games occasionally. But uh, uniquely, uh, it also captures 1080p at 60fps, um, which some other cameras do. Uh, but it's really nice if you want to like not feed two different frame rates to your viewers, where the game is one frame rate and then your face cam is another frame rate. Um, it's also pretty customizable. Uh, I know that there's a lot of post-processing available in apps like OBS, but uh, Razer Synapse makes that uh, pretty easy with the uh, Kio Pro. I also really yeah. like the microphone on it. I'm using a different microphone uh, right now, but uh, it's a lot closer to like a casual headset mic right. um, than like the typical, mostly an afterthought uh, mics that I find on webcams. It's not quite like as good as my Blue Yeti that I'm using right now, 
but uh, it's better than pretty much any other webcam mic I've tested. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we're really looking to do, right, is how do we build in as much value and functionality as possible and not have to have a whole bunch of different, you know, items and build up this whole structure uh, when you're just maybe needing a webcam for phone calls or for video calls and you don't want to have all the other pieces. We want to make sure that what you have is great performing and really everything's built in. But then as you build out your system and build out the parts that you have, we do have a full line of microphones and we have... You know, all of the pieces that you need to build out a great streaming or, you know, video conferencing infrastructure and kind of setup. So, uh, you know, we've definitely got all those parts with our siren microphones. Again, it's for us about offering a full solution and a full suite of products that are really simple to use and, you know, really offer a lot of great value. Uh, one of the other things that you mentioned um, on the Keo Pro with it being adaptable and, uh, you know, very customizable, as it does also have a uh, field of view uh, that can be adjusted through Synapse. So you can have kind of a more narrow field of view that I have right now. And then you can also adjust it out so it has a much wider field of view up to uh, around 180 degrees about. And what it'll do is that allows you to bring in multiple people into a call without everyone having to kind of crowd around into this one space. So again, for doing things like work calls or family calls, where you want to bring in multiple people, you can actually expand it out uh, even better. So again, it's all about flexibility and you know being able to use it in a number of different situations. Yeah, right now I believe I'm also using the uh, narrow field of view because you don't need to see my whole office. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I've tested the wide field of view and it'll like go out into the hallway outside my office. Right. So. I mean, there is can, a bit uh, of a, a fisheye effect that I've noticed, but some people like that. Um, so again, it's more of a stylistic thing. Yeah. I mean, I could turn off my camera and show it to you, but I don't know if I want to. <laughs> can should I show it here? Let's see. Looking good. Uh, <laughs> good look for you, Mike. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, it's not it's letting me do it right now. Unfortunately, it's not letting me switch out of this program to uh, to use the camera. But uh, yeah, it, it, again, it provides a lot of flexibility in terms of bringing in multiple people into a call, which which we really like, and it's great for business and again, family calls. Uh, but you know, like again, these work from home trends are going to continue. Sharon, as you said, you don't see a time you're going back soon. So we really want to be able to have people have products that are really going to you know provide a lot of uh, quality and a lot of you know the professionalism that you're going to expect being in an office, but bringing that to your house. One thing that I do miss is the, um, the ring light from the original Kio. I know that the Kio Pro is equipped with a sensor. Um, and for my testing, it actually works pretty well. Um, although I do think the ring light brings a, a little bit of style to the mm -hmm. Kio. Um, what was your sort of uh, decision-making in choosing to opt for that sensor instead? Yeah, I think the idea there was really to provide uh, flexibility uh, in terms of any of the kind of lighting situations that you're in and to really focus on the quality of the video without having to have an extra light, no, without having to have that, but having it more adapt to the environment. So if you've got, you know, the, the ring light's great if you have a low light uh, area where it's a darker and you can provide that. But if you're in a room that maybe has a lot of glare coming in from the outside uh, through the sun or maybe from behind you, that light's not gonna do a lot for you, right? But what we wanted to do was build in a light sensor into the camera that can actually adapt to that light, whether it's you know a really harsh glare coming in or whether you're in a really low light situation, but have that all be in one camera and you know, again, be able to adapt to your situation rather than 
having the camera sort of forcing a you know certain environment onto you. So again, it's about you know no matter what type of room you're in, the camera is going to work and it's really going to optimize the space that you're in. And that's what we wanted to focus on there uh, was again bringing in this great light sensing. Uh, the light sensor technology that we use was actually developed uh, for security cameras. So they have to work really well and provide really high quality video in a number of different lighting, you know, scenarios, especially when it's really, uh, you know, suboptimal light. And we brought that over to the consumer side in a way that, again, provides really high quality video regardless of your environment. It's interesting because I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's 2021, so maybe like 10 years ago, webcams were kind of just something that were like thrown onto a laptop or maybe... You know, if you wanted to post like funny Facebook videos, you'd buy like a cheap one to like right. just plug in. And now I think, you know, we're seeing with your new camera, I think we're seeing the need for, you know, more advanced features as people get into things like streaming and working from home full time. Like there are some people who've yeah. never been to their office and you don't want to just be a blurry, like pixelated face to them. You want to <laughs> be yourself. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think with the rise of things like, um, you know, the huge growth in Twitch and with streaming and YouTube and all that, you know, you're definitely people that are demanding higher quality video out of their cameras than just whatever is on their laptop or, you know, is maybe, you know, a really cheap camera that you might be able to buy. And then, you know, what you just said about work from home was great. Like I have personally, since I started at Razor about a year ago, I've never been into the office. So I have not actually met most of my coworkers face to face. So for me, having a really high quality video, you know, feed and video connection with them just helps create that, that attachment and that socializing that we're missing out on right now. Uh, so again, I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, moving past just your typical, you know, laptop web camera and getting something that really just brings you to life on stream or on camera and having that high quality video. And there's a lot of demand for that right now because I think people are realizing that, you know, they're not going to be able to just get by on, you know, a professional level call on just, you know, their laptop camera. Very cool. So yeah, definitely check out Michelle's review of the webcam if you haven't already. Um, and also keep putting in your, your questions. We're keeping track of those and we'll get into a Q&A session um, with Mike and Ash in a little bit. Um, but first we wanted to talk with you, Mike, about Project Hazel, which is so interesting that it ended up being one of the most like fascinating finds at CES, right? Michelle, that's, we were kind yeah, of talking I, about before. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, so Project Hazel, uh, for those that haven't seen it at CES, I actually have some here. Uh, this is what we're calling the world's smartest mask. And this was developed as a prototype at CES, um, both the, sorry, everything's backwards for me, the black version here, and then the white version as well. So for us, you know, we wanted to look at the new normal that's out there today with masks and with protecting yourself. And, you know, really in this kind of world that we're in today, what do we need to do to build a mask that's really for the new normal? Uh, so it's got a lot of great technology built into it. Uh, it is fully N95 uh, compliant mask. It actually will have active ventilation here. So it'll suck, you know, clean, cool air in and it'll basically filter out the, you know, the air that you're breathing out. So you've got a two-way ventilation with that filtering going on. Uh, really for me, most importantly, it's got this clear plastic uh, build on the face area which is all about providing socialization. We know with masks, you know, one of the biggest things is that you can't see, you know, somebody's mouth, you can't see them talking, you can't see their facial expressions, and it has this huge impact on the ability to connect and socialize with people. 
So by building it around this clear plastic body, we're removing that barrier and we're allowing people to see, you know, other people's mouths, see their expressions, see them talking. And it really, you know, helps to create that connection. And then also housed within these smart pods here is a speaker array. So we have Razer Voice Amp technology, which what that will do is take your voice from inside the mask and recreate it out in a very crisp, clear, natural manner to the outside world. So while you're talking with the mask on, it'll be able to um, you know, naturally recreate your voice so that people can hear you and it's just like talking normally. Uh, we've had, you know, again, a lot of great, as you said, uh, feedback on this from CES as a prototype. And it's something that we're actually moving out of the prototype stage on and out of the concept stage and taking this on the path to productization. So again, we're really excited to bring this out there. And of course, you know, it wouldn't be a Razor product uh, without, oh, oh, sorry about that. It wouldn't be a Razor product without Razor Chroma on it. So we do have Chroma built into the mask as well. Uh, and this will serve not only a personalization uh, personalization factor, but it will also have some uh, functionality in it that it will be able to communicate out certain status of the mask. So for example, if the battery is low or, you know, if the filters need to be changed, those are all things that can be taken care of, um, you know, through the chroma lighting and communicated out through the chroma lighting. So again, you know, for us, it's really about building a mask that is you know, social is the biggest thing and also safe uh, in terms of the filtration uh, and also sustainable. So this uh, whole thing is built with post-recycled um, materials. You've got a silicone uh, nose bridge here, so a silicone mask fit, and it's all built around recycled materials. So we know that, you know, with throwing away masks uh, is a huge kind of environmental issue right now with all the disposal masks, and we want to get away from that. Uh, you know, and, and we looked at this and people say, oh, you guys are building a mask. What's going on with that? Uh, you know, for us as Razor as a company, um, this has been something we've been in since the start of the COVID pandemic. Uh, very, you know, early on, we converted some of our manufacturing facilities to make masks and we've donated more than a million masks directly to the medical front lines as part of our um, efforts in this space. And so this is really a natural progression and um, you know movement on that effort that we've been doing. And how do we build something that is really you know next gen? How is it the next kind of technological step towards building you know a real high safety mask? And so is there there's something in the mask that will help prevent your glasses from fogging up? Is that yeah, so, you know, a lot of masks that you wear when you're wearing them, what happens and you have glasses is your kind of breath is kind of coming out the top and it's fogging yeah, up your glasses. Yeah, I so that um, the mask is actually built around this silicone seal right here that will fit um, snugly and, you know, securely on your face. And so you're not having that air come out uh, from the top into your glasses. So it's going to be filtrating through the smart pods here, uh, but you'll have this kind of secure uh, sealed connection through the silicone face mask part. Are my you able to demo that? that? <laughs> yeah, like I have to put in my contacts to go to the corner store. Like I'm not that kind of girl. <laughs> These are reading glasses, so I can like go out without them. But oh my gosh, I live yeah. with someone who does who needs glasses twenty four seven, and I have to like read the shopping list for us when we go out. <laughs> Yep. No, I have the same problem myself. It, you know, my breath will come up and fog these up and it just, uh, you know, it's it's a real pain. So having this silicone seal will, you know, help eliminate a lot of that, which is great. So when you uh, first showed this to us in January, it was a, a concept. So is there any updates in terms of this being released as something people can buy? 
Yeah, so don't have any timing on it to share today. Uh, you know, as I said, it's moving past uh, the concept stage and into this path to productization. Um, nothing to share in terms of timing or cost or anything at this point, uh, but those are all details we'll be able to share in the coming months for sure. Very cool. And I'm just thinking here, I don't know, you know, what product I it, this could be, but do you see it, Razor? Because this is a little out of your typical wheelhouse, so to speak. I mean, I know you've been doing stuff around COVID, like you said, since the pandemic started, you know, started, but do you see yourself kind of breaking into other categories? Because even with the glasses, that's a little different too. So it seems like you're just kind of expanding into where there's a need. Yeah, definitely. I think we're expanding into where there's a need. That's a great way to put it. Um, but also finding ways that we can take some of these technologies that we've developed in other spaces as well and expand them out into different form factors and use cases. Uh, the Anzu glasses, for example, that I'm wearing, uh, the audio technology in these is built around the low latency Bluetooth that we developed for our Hammerhead True Wireless earbuds. Uh, so that's a technology that we you know built for one specific product and now we're finding ways to bring that into other form factors and to expand the offerings that we have and to really create some unique products in different spaces so i think as part of razor's just continued drive towards innovation you know across all of our products and across various product lines you're going to continue to see us come up with you know not only extensions of things we're doing, but totally brand new things that we're you know, going to get into as well. And that's really at the heart and the core of Razor is that innovation piece. Um, I think you can see that at CES, right? We've won a Best of CES award for uh, you know, some of our innovative products for the last eight, nine years running. So again, that, that innovation is really at the core of who we are as a company. And we're going to continue to innovate on both you know, new products in existing categories and out into new ones as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess I should have known you guys aren't afraid to branch out when you release the Razor gum. So, <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. Let me tell you, it's keeping me. It's it's kept me going on not not a few days. <laughs> One question I have about those glasses, since we were just talking about like yeah. you know wearing glasses out, um, are those prescription lenses that you're wearing, or like if if I need prescription lens lenses, can I still get the Anzu or? Yeah, so these are not prescription lenses. Uh, these are blue light ones, but we do have a partnership uh, with a company called Lensable, uh, where you can actually, is if you purchase the Anzu, uh, you can actually get a uh, pretty good price and a discount on prescription lenses for this. It's an aftermarket uh, service, but you would send in your Anzu and they would uh, provide you prescription lenses into it. So uh, we do have a partnership with Lensable to provide that, yep. So there is that option. Great. Cool, cool. Uh, so yeah, keep your questions coming in. We'll be doing a Q&A uh, just after um, we got one more thing to check out with Ash. Um, if anyone's been following the market, I guess this year and maybe forever, it's like a chase for more Hertz, right? Like we want more higher refresh rate in our monitors and our Razor is giving it to us in our mice. We've got the Viper 8K um, released. What do you have to tell us about that, Ash? So this is a super jazzy mouse that we came out with earlier this year. The Viper 8K is our refresh on the Viper line. Um, our Viper line has been built around having the max performance um, throughout its uh, lifespan. And now with the Viper 8K, we are introducing a true 8,000 hertz pulling rate. So pulling rate really looking at the latency of the time that you click your mouse to when it communicates to your computer and that action actually shows up on your screen. 
we have been working very hard to really minimize the latency and get it as low as possible. So with our true 8K Hertz pulling rate, we are now having the fastest clicks in motion in a mouse, the smoothest tracking, and we're actually sending more reports per second from the computer to your mouse with consistent updates to really give it um, a bigger and more effective responsiveness. Within the Viper 8K as well, we didn't just add in the hyperpulling. We also improved our switch technology, improving it from the first gen uh, optical switch up to the second gen optical switch for greater tactility. And then we've also improved our sensor from the 5G uh, uh, sensor, which had 16,000 DPI to now our Focus Plus optical sensor, which has 20,000 DPI. So this is all an uh, effort to be more accurate and both of these pieces together are really gonna help in avoiding those unintended double clicks during gameplay. Um, this mouse has really been built and designed for the ultimate performance. We know every user's experience is different, but this is really going to be a big change for those who are looking to decrease latency and just improve that accuracy overall. Oh, it seems like you're muted, Sharon. Oh, I said something very smart um, and clever after Ash, don't worry. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, Ash, um, kind of who do you see this mouse um, being the best fit for? So there's obviously appeal for esports players that are always looking for, you know, powerful specs. Um, but there are also some recommended um, requirements to use the 8,000 hertz rate, right? So I have... Um, some here, I think you recommend at least an i5-8600K CPU, for example, uh, 144 hertz refresh rate, which is, you know, kind of far for the course for gamers. But um, so, yeah, so for the esports games, uh, those usually don't require, you know, such powerful components, but you do have some component requirements to use this mouse. So, but, you know, so who do you see this for more like esports players or the type of people of like, more powerful rigs for like AAA games, who's the real market? So those are definitely really strong recommendations of ours um, to get that ultimate gameplay and to really benefit from the full 8,000 Hertz. Anyone can really benefit from this mouse. It's fully scalable within Synapse as well. So we know every user is gonna have a little bit different experience and not every game is ready for 8,000 Hertz pulling rates. So you can go into Synapse and adjust that pulling rate anywhere from 1,000 to 8,000 pulling rate. And it's going to adjust with your gameplay then. Um, I think for the most part, FPS players are probably going to see the, the most benefit out of this, though most game types will see improvements. When you've got tra excuse me, tracking and responsiveness that are really crucial to that in-game play for the accuracy of your shots, you're going to really see that benefit come through because of the lower latency. So FPS players, I think, would definitely see this during gameplay as a huge benefit to them. But again, that customizable nature of being able to adjust the pulling rate within Synapse is going to be a huge benefit to any player. Yeah, and I could say, because I did review um, this mouse, and you could check it out on tomshardware.com, of course. But, um, you know, I put it through the ringer, and I tried to see if I, because I'm not, you know, a pro-level player, so I wanted to see if I would notice any difference. And you, I really could. Um, it's like, when you, for me, the biggest, the most noticeable part was Let's say you're like moving your mouse around and the arrow kind of almost looks like it's jumping from place to place if you look really closely. But with this mouse, it was just like a smooth, um, consistent distance between each arrow. Um, so it was definitely noticeable in that regard. Um, and it was nice to be able to see it, you know, like I didn't have a 360 hertz monitor. I believe I had like a 240 hertz screen. So I didn't have 
the ultimate specs. I was on an RTX 20 series. Obviously, we're up to 30 series now. So yeah, I did see the effects um, in getting that 8,000 hertz versus your typical 1,000 hertz mouse. Um, Michelle, I'm curious, you didn't get to try out this mouse because I got it, but <laughs> what are your thoughts on moving up from 1,000 hertz all the way to 8,000? I mean, like you said, uh, even just like moving the mouse around, I think one of the best parts about having a high refresh rate monitor, um, but it's underrated, is that outside of games, it just feels really nice and smooth uh, to manipulate the UI or the UX. And uh, adding that smoothness to your mouse movement is only going to make it more... Um, Pleasant, you know, They're, we're seeing more phones coming out with like 90 hertz, 140, 144 hertz uh, refresh rates. And I'm like, why do I need that on a phone? I'm not playing like intense high FPS games on my phone, but I've seen a lot of people saying that like one of the reasons they like that is it just makes like navigating their apps so much smoother. And so being able to have that experience on a desktop is pretty interesting to me. Yeah, definitely the the smoother tracking that comes with this technology is incredible. When I first opened up my mouse and was playing around with it, it was the first thing I noticed as well. You're not getting that sketchy motion um, that happens on your screen sometime with the higher latency mice. It makes it a very smooth experience. It also allows you to really um, feel that communication happening between the mouse and the computer and knowing that, hey, if I click my mouse right now and I'm trying to go for a headshot, you're going to get that headshot. You're not going to be worried that you're going to be misfiring or, you know, looking somewhere off the map because you're a few seconds behind. Because of that faster communication rate, it's going to make your gameplay just that much smoother and increase the accuracy to a level that even I noticed to the point where it was like, hey, I feel like I'm getting pretty good at this FPS stuff. Maybe I should do this more often. <laughs> you play a lot of FPS games, Sharon? Um, I played a lot of Borderlands 3 for like most of last year. Did you notice like a big difference with the with the mouse, I guess, in that sort of game? So for me, as somebody who isn't like pro level, like I said, like I was taking in so much that I wasn't able to like hyper focus on the pointer. And I'm not like the kind of person who has felt like whoever like blamed my mouse per se, unless it's very obvious. So for me, like I, I personally can notice it when I was trying to notice it, you know, when I was really, really looking at the the pointer and seeing where it was and like focusing on that for my testing. But like that obviously carries over into the game, you know? So just because I'm not like hyper-focused on it because I'm taking in like all of the people attacking me and handling it with the utmost skill, of course. But there's just so much to take in that I wasn't like, oh, like I could tell my mouse is like moving differently. But when I paid attention, I could tell if that makes sense. So it's a, it's a subtle effect for those with really keen eyes. It's probably more noticeable, right? Like there are people who notice the benefits of 360 hertz more than others. Um, so yeah, I would say if you're like a pro level person who's really um, aware of that kind of stuff, you will notice a difference. If you're not, you, you, you still will if you try to look and you know like really do the comparison um, of that. So uh, speaking of, I'm curious, have you guys, uh, do you have any info or have you guys looked into at all like how having an 8,000 hertz polling rate affects CPU or graphics card usage versus its standard 1,000 hertz? Sure. So for the CPU cycles itself, it's actually going to um, create faster CPU cycles up to eight times faster because of the 8K technology. 
Um, there's no real impact on the GPU, which is a great thing, um, but definitely you'll see improvements on the CPU cycles itself um, is, the, is the primary factor there. And then, um, like you said, Ash, this is, so you already had a Viper mouse and you basically took that frame, that shell, that build and gave it a better sensor and this 8,000 Hertz capability. Uh, so why did you decide to take the, the Viper and do that as opposed to like one of your other popular gaming mice, like a Death Adder and do like a Death Adder uh, 8K? Why the Viper? Sure, so the Viper itself has been built around max performance from the get-go. Um, it's part of our esports lineup for those players who are really intense and want the most competitive um, advantage available. So the Viper was the obvious choice for us for an efficiency perspective because it's already been built around that framework for those competitive advantages. Um, we wanted to maximize the performance better. So the inclusion of the 8K pulling rate plus the upgrade to the second gen optical switch plus the upgrade to the sensor, it just made the most sense to do it all in one package and to introduce this technology into the Viper for performance. Cool, and I guess I'll just kind of like throw this out to everyone because um, this is a trend we've seen not just among Razer but among like a lot of gaming mice, like increasing that DPI stat, like I think a lot, Razer, I believe you have some that goes up to like 20,000 DPI, maybe more, I could be wrong, but definitely at least 20,000. And we've seen that go higher and higher um, over the years. And now you guys are actually pushing polling rates. I'm just curious what people's take on like the high DPI trend and its effectiveness for gamers. Like, is that the way to go? Like boosting that spec? So I think DPI is definitely one of the metrics to look at to increase that competitive advantage. Um, we know that it's one of the specs that our gamers look at all the time is how high is the DPI. Our uh, Focus Plus sensor right now does boast 20,000 DPI. So that's already an incredibly high number. And we continue to push those bounds. It's really the combination for us of the DPI in that optical switch, uh, sensor plus the switch itself, which is gonna provide that competitive advantage. So it's just one piece of the puzzle that really builds that advantage around gaming. It's not just a standalone piece for us. We look at all three combined, DPI plus the sensor, and then adding on as well the switch to give us that max competitiveness. It'll be interesting to see in the coming months and so if um, other people follow, you know, I guess, this trend that you guys are kind of introducing or making more mainstream because um, we see all the mice vendors, I guess, or a lot of the gaming mice vendors doing like a CPI chase. So it'll be interesting to see if we'll see more high polling rate mice. It's always interesting to me to see this because I tend to play on lower DPI uh, so that I can get like more precision in my shots. I can move the mouse further without like it shooting across the screen. But I also have like a giant like gamer mouse pad that supports that. Um, and not everyone can have that on their desks. And also like certain features, I know a lot of mice have sniper buttons so that like if you're playing on a character that benefits from higher DPI, you can use that high DPI. And then when you need that more precision, you can temporarily lower it. So like DPI definitely does have its place and making your mouse capable of that uh, lets you more easily access that when you need it. Uh, I was watching a Rainbow Six Siege clip recently um, where someone had like a shield up and they were in a corner and they just like spun around their character really quickly uh, just to like block everything. And that's something you can't do without a high DPI. I'm the same as you, I reduce my DPI. I don't like my mouse to move incredibly fast across the stream. 
Um, at the end of the day, it's all about accuracy for our players. We know that is the thing that they look for the most. And DPI definitely is going to play a role in that. For me, having a little bit lower DPI definitely is more beneficial in my gameplay, but we know this changes across the board for everyone. And so having the max range up to 20,000 DPI definitely allows us to have that customization for all of our gamers, no matter how they choose to play. At the end of the day, as long as it comes down to accuracy and their best game style, that's what really matters to us. Awesome. Cool, so I think we have time now to get into some uh, viewer questions. I'm gonna ask Michelle to help me out because I got some. Uh, so I have a question here uh, from Artistic Snack, uh, talking about the Huntsman V2 analog, asking is the Tartarus Pro the same? The Tartarus Pro being that analog sort of um, specific gamepad thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it is at the core of the same technology. The Huntsman V2 analog is just a full-size format keyboard versus more of the keypad itself. But those do feature analog as well. Awesome. And a follow-up question, also from our friend Artistic Snack, uh, asking how much more durable are the new opticals? That's a tough question. So pretty much everything we do at Razer, we aim for durability to be one of the key pieces. Um, we always improve upon our dur durability. One of the big things here as well is we have double shot PBT keycaps as well that are gonna cover those switches. So it's gonna help in the overall longevity of the keyboard as well. Cool. Uh, and then this is a question for Mike. I know we talked about it a bit earlier, but uh, no harm in going into it in more depth or going into it for people who weren't here. Our editor-in-chief, uh, Avram Pilch, asks about the Kyo Pro. Uh, why no more ring light? What was behind that decision? Um, is the sensor just better? Yeah, I think, again, the idea was to deliver something that is really adaptable and uh, optimizes all different lighting conditions, whether it's dark or maybe overly bright. And so the idea was to build something that, you know, worked within the camera, took the lighting in your space and made it as good as possible. Uh, just again, to increase flexibility, knowing that people are working in a ton of different types of environments uh, and not having to, you know, kind of have like a light to help provide, uh, you know, decent quality video, but to have the, you know, any of the light that you have in there be optimized and adapted to provide really high quality video. So for us, it's really about, you know, adaptive light sensing and that 1080p with HDR and the ability to provide really professional quality video uh, within, you know, again, any lighting situation that you have, whether it's dark, bright, or in between. Awesome. Um, I know that this is the Kio Pro. Um, yeah. So, and the regular Kio still has a ring light. Um, yeah. Is Razer done with ring lights? Could we see like a regular Kio? version two, I assume with a much catchier name uh, that still has a ring light. Yeah, you know, um, we're going to continue to innovate in this space uh, in the in the kind of the, you know, broadcasting and work from home video equipment space, uh, both from a microphone standpoint and from a camera standpoint. So I think you're going to continue to see us uh, have new products within this space. Uh, that have a number of different features and are, you know, really good for a number of different use cases that people might have. Uh, we also do have a uh, separate ring light as well uh, that people can buy. Uh, so that is something that we have for those that 
you know, do want a lighting solution, but maybe even the smaller light on the Kio itself is not enough. Uh, we do also have a standalone ring light as well. So again, for us, it's about building out a full suite of products uh, for any different types of situations that people might, you know, find themselves in or the different setups that they might want to build for streaming or, you know, working from home video. Awesome. Um, this is less of a question, more of a comment, but I think it gets us to a question. Uh, Another thing for Mike <laughs> talking about Project Hazel saying those masks looks those masks look dope. Uh, do. Makes me think about you know we have a white design, we have a black design. Could we see other colors? Could we see like patterns on them? Well, we got how the RGB. You, do you want even more? How much yeah, are you willing to dive in? So we got that. Um, yeah, I think you know with us right now it's really about how do we take this again down that path from concept to real product and what is it you know what does it look like and you know in terms of different colors and those types of things um, I think you can see Razor we've had a history of doing different colors on our products. Uh, first, we want to get this out, make sure it's a great product, make sure it's something that our fans and our customers love and, you know, are really using in the best way possible. And then we can figure out, you know, ways to uh, put different colors on it for personalization and the like. Uh, but again, really excited to, you know, see this thing as it moves from concept into real product and, you know, moves forward into something that you can actually buy and wear yourself. Awesome. I'm just going to say quartz pink mask. Just leave that out there. <laughs> I would take that. I'm here for that. <laughs> um, we'll put you, we'll put you down on the list. <laughs> no, we covered it has chroma lighting. Uh, do you want to remind us how we actually go about customizing that chroma lighting and like where the lighting is on the mask? Sure. Um, so uh, the mask, the actual chroma lighting is on the uh, what we call the smart pods here on the side. Uh, and so that'll be, you know, that'll be customizable through the same uh, Razer Synapse that you can do all our other devices through in terms of Chroma today. Uh, so I think it's looking a little weird on the uh, video on the camera capturing it because I'm not seeing that in real life here. But, um, you know, it'll it's be on the cyberpunk. <laughs> Any Anything with neon, you just say it's cyberpunk. Um, exactly. cyberpunk <laughs> the most hard-hitting uh, question here. Yeah. Where is the Razer toaster? <laughs> Straight to the point. <laughs> we ask this question all the time. We're all on board with the razor toaster idea. We're still fighting for it. We're going strong on that battle for you guys. <laughs> awesome. So uh, bringing it back around to, to Ash real quick, uh, 8,000 hertz is like eight times normal mice. That's a huge jump from like 1,000 hertz. Like what let you like go from not just A to B, but like A to Z, like so quickly. <laughs> yeah, so it is up to eight times faster. So typical mice right now in the market are 1000 Hertz pulling rates. The Viper 8K does boast up to 8000 Hertz. Um, we spent a ton of time innovating and looking at this and diving into latency. Um, there's a lot of deep technology that went into this. But at the end of the day, what we really want to just push the messaging out on is that because of this jump and up to eight times faster, it's really going to improve that tracking. It's going to give you more responsiveness. It's just gonna make that gameplay overall so much nicer. As uh, Cyanide said, it is pretty nice. It's a very exciting gameplay for us. Um, a lot of the information behind it is of course proprietary because it is Razer Tech, but I'm super excited that we do have such a fast mouse on the market now. Awesome. Um, and finally, a uh, question from Jared Humphrey uh, asking like the relationship between optical switches and joysticks, you know, like will they end up replacing them or like will they have their own unique uh, 
you know, niches. I know we talked about this a bit earlier, but um, do you have anything else to share or? I just have to say that there is a couple people we know putting these comments out that are trying to get us. I see you guys. <laughs> I see you coming in hot. <laughs> um, so definitely the new optical switches, they're not meant to replace a joystick for those who love the traditional controller. It's just another way to enhance gameplay for the PC lover. So whoever is traditionally used to mouse and keyboard, it just pr provides another level of customization for gameplay. So you can still do traditional keyboard and mouse, or you can use the analog input to emulate that joystick. So it just really helps give our players more options down the line on how they wanna play. And if you choose to go with the joystick option or the gamepad option with analog input, you can always switch back. It's not just a, hey, I switched it over, so that's what I'm stuck with now. Customization is the name of the game for us. Awesome, I think that's about good on the viewer questions. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just say there is definitely a lot of custom customization in that keyboard. Like when I was reviewing it, I was in the software for a while because you get like your standard programmability, like your macros, then every individual key, you can set the actuation point and you can set two actions to each key. And then there's, you got your per key RGB. Like if you want a very customizable keyboard, that is definitely should be high up on the list. Could I do um, something wild, like put two different macros <laughs> on the same key? So you can definitely do that with the dual step actuation. They're not traditional macros that are fixed. These are definitely more flexible. So whereas with a macro itself, you're very fixed in what you can and cannot do. The dual step actuation will allow you to set different um, set points or actuation points within that key, providing more flexibility. So if you wanna go back to that example of the grenade, a half press, if you set that to your first point of actuation, go ahead and equip the grenade. And then once you push down to your second actuation point, it will throw the grenade. You can set all of this up in Synapse so that it's not a fixed motion. You can completely customize that throughout the entire keyboard. This is reminding me of, for anyone who's extremely online like myself and knows that Mario meme where like a <laughs> half A press, uh, an yeah. A press has two parts, uh, but now, now for real. <laughs> I suppose that's real too, but I don't believe it. <laughs> All right, awesome. So I guess that's all the time we have with Ash and Mike, but I wanna thank you both so much for bringing lots of fun and even some RGB to the show this week. Um, any last words for our viewers before you guys um, log off? Thank you for having us. We were so excited to join you guys. And as always, I'm super, super happy to share our new products and innovation with you. Yeah, definitely. Just, uh, you know, keep an eye on Razor for all the hot new products. And, you know, especially as we move into all these new categories, we're definitely excited to bring a lot of new innovation to uh, to our fans and to customers and, you know, make a lot of amazing new stuff. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for, Thank you so much. for joining us. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks, Michelle. Bye. <laughs> So that was fun. Yeah. Like I said, Razor has been busy. I'm keeping, <laughs> keeping you know, I busy. think of Razor as like, and especially as they branch into more things like these masks and the webcams, they're like half premium gaming peripheral, half like lifestyle brand. Yeah, um, yeah I could see that for sure. So I'm, you know, I'm definitely interested in seeing um, how they like further expand their name. Definitely. And it'll all be on our website. So stay tuned, y'all. <laughs> but in the meantime, uh, you know, we always love to give you all a taste of what's been going on in the Tom's Hardware Lab. 
And Michelle just tested a two-in-one PC that I think, wink, wink, you'll all be interested in. Oh my Michelle? gosh. So if we're talking about another sort of lifestyle brand, um, maybe not quite so much like high fashion, but ThinkPad definitely does have its fans um, for its name and its like history. And what we have here is a ThinkPad detachable. Uh, so like a Microsoft Surface Pro, this is basically a tablet that comes with a ThinkPad style keyboard that you can just plop off. And then you just have a regular tablet there. Um, but this is ThinkPad, so its goal is to sort of have that ThinkPad style power to it. So like when we tested it against the current Microsoft Surface Pro 7, which is still like what Microsoft is selling at full price, this blasted it out of the water with that. And it even like held toe-to-toe uh, -to -toe with convertibles like the uh, latest XPS 13 2-in-1 and the HP Spectre X360. Um, but it also has certain like ThinkPad conveniences. So I think probably what I liked the most about this detachable was this keyboard, I'm trying to put it on camera. Um, it's just, it's a ThinkPad keyboard, right? So it's just excessively comfortable. It has that nub on there. Uh, if that, you know, if you've grown accustomed to that and that's what you like to use. Um, there are a few minor differences, uh, which is that the keycaps don't have as much of a concave curve as they usually do, but there is still a little bit of one. I don't know if you can see it on camera. Um, Kind of. But it, it does actually, make it. That, that deck looks really thin. Am I? Is that just an illusion? Is that thinner than a typical deck of a ThinkPad? I mean, I assume so because it is a, a tablet. Um, you're not going to get at, or it's a detachable keyboard for a tablet. Um, it focuses on portability. It doubles as a cover for the ThinkPad. You're not going to get as much travel distance but this doesn't feel flimsy at all. The deck doesn't flex that much when you press it. The only real issue I had was the touchpad. Uh, feels a little friction heavy. It can be hard to like smoothly track across the computer without lifting your hand a lot. Um, but to counter that, you have this pen and you also have the fact that it is, hold on a second, a straight up tablet. So you can touch it and move around like that. You can draw on it for precision. Um, again, that's not the perfect form factor if you're sitting and typing a bunch, but it definitely gives you a lot more uh, versatility than ThinkPad normally uh, has, even if in, in its convertibles. You know, if I wanna like stop working, lay in bed and read a book or a comic or whatever, uh, this is maybe the first time I'd consider doing that on a ThinkPad. Um, and then there's Why also... would you ever want to stop working, Michelle? Don't you always <laughs> want to do your Tom's hardware work? Um, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, also the, um, again, that's not too unusual for det uh, detachable, but there's this little kickstand here. It can feel a little stiff when pulling it out, um, but it has plenty of viewable angles that you can set it to, um, which is great. So is that the first uh, detachable ThinkPad? Uh, I believe it is the first 
time that they've like had a proper detachable, they've tried to like mimic the Surface Pro's form factor before, but uh, this is my first time definitely seeing a ThinkPad tablet. So, well, I guess you already said you don't really like the touchpad. I was going to ask you trackpad, trackpoint, touchpad, or stylus, which is the most, gives you the, you know, best ease of navigation. I think the stylus does for me. That's what I ended up doing for a lot of my uh, work. Like when I was gathering data, I would take my window, move it, highlight the stuff, and then you can set, you can customize the um, buttons that are here on the stylus. So I made this like copy and this paste. So I would just be like, highlight, copy, go to Google Docs, paste, bam. It's pretty chill. So that comes with it. And then it looks like, does it magnetically attach? To That's the, the unfortunate thing with this. Um, I feel like in general, this has a very premium feel to it. But the one thing that I really wish they would have done with this tablet is it attaches through this little fabric loop um, which just doesn't feel as sturdy or secure. It works fine, uh, but you know, it doesn't make me think ThinkPad as much as a magnetic attachment or even an in uh, tablet attachment would have, but this is a pretty thick pen. It's almost as thick as the tablet itself. So I'm not sure that would have been possible. So I'm curious what you think. So like you said, this is their first detachable um, ThinkPad um, and ThinkPad has like their market, right? This is like premium, a lot of business people use it for business purposes. Um, how do you feel about the form factor? Like, do you think they'll make another detachable ThinkPad? Of course it depends on sales, but in terms of your experience, was it a successful experience to the point you'll think that you believe there'll be more two-in-one ThinkPads? So I don't have a lot of personal history using detachables. Uh, they definitely have their place. I tend to think them as of them as something that students use a lot. Um, so I'm not quite sure if the ThinkPad brand, you know, appeals as much to like younger students who are just getting into college. But one thing I also think about with ThinkPads is people walking around in maybe a doctor's office and taking a lot of quick notes with the touch screen. That reminds me of like very old classic ThinkPads. And one of the most annoying things with convertibles that try to get that is you still have this keyboard attached to the back. And even if it doesn't register your presses, you still have these buttons getting in the way. They're not very smooth. You know, it doesn't feel good to press something that isn't gonna do anything. So it's nice to be able to just plop that off when you don't need it. Uh, the one annoying thing is, you know, you can't just sit it in your lap as easily because this keyboard isn't going to hold it up. Uh, you know, the all the laptops guts, so to say, are in the tablet. Um, so this is more of like a holding proper with your hands or sitting on a desk sort of device, um, which brings me to my other big complaint with it. And this isn't an issue with the device itself so much as detachables in general. It's just, I have a metal desk and the way this attaches is there's a magnet here and there's a magnet here. And so just placing the device down on my desk, it wants to attach to my desk. <laughs> uh, that didn't ruin performance or anything and it's not too hard to remove, but I'm sort of old fashioned in that anything with magnets near my electronics uh, makes me nervous. It's not something that I had an issue with when using it on like my wooden coffee table. Um, but you might want to consider what environment you're going to be using it in. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting tidbit, and it's not ideal for the lap, despite being a laptop either. So yeah, yeah. definitely things to keep in mind. So yeah, Michelle's review is up on tomshardware.com. It's the Lenovo ThinkPad X12 detachable. So check out her review if you're interested. Do you, we have any questions, Michelle? I can't see the comments, so I hope everyone's behaving. Uh, we have a, just a comment saying that it makes sense uh, from Zionide saying it makes sense that the keyboard is thinner because there's no laptop guts inside of it. So it doesn't need to like, a typical laptop keyboard is not just the keyboard, but also the entire innards of the laptop beneath it. Um, so this can get a slightly thinner form factor with it, which is another plus to using a detachable. For sure. Well, yeah, so definitely check out that review if you're interested. And like I said, we've got reviews on those Razer products, the Huntsman V2 analog keyboard, the Viper EK mouse, and the Kio Pro webcam. Um, so yeah, thanks so much, Michelle, for that. And thanks to everyone who's been hanging out with us today. Um, please like us on Facebook or YouTube if you've had fun, because we definitely have. We'd love to see you all again. Also, one last shout out to Ashley Keg and Mark Sharnico from Razer. We loved having them. Bye, right, Michelle? Uh, yeah, we did. Uh, one last thing, I'm noticing a commenter saying that they missed this uh, stream and they really wanted to see this one. So the archive for the stream will definitely be up on our YouTube channel uh, shortly after we finish uh, recording. So you'll definitely be able to see all the uh, Razer products. Yeah, you can catch it on Facebook too. And if you are an audio person, you can download it as a podcast wherever you get podcasts. So Lots of options for you. I hope you get to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, so, all right, that is our show. We'll see you next Thursday. Bye, everyone.